Hey there, and welcome to the podcast for Friday, December the 11th. Coming up, we'll hear from Nick Kiprios about the NHL looking to perhaps jump the vaccination line to get the hockey season started. Plus, we'll hear more about lockdowns in more regions for Ontario with the spread of COVID-19 on the increase. And we'll also give you details on the 12 days of giving in support of the Toronto Firefighters Toy Drive. All of that coming up right now on the pod. All right, very good afternoon. Happy Friday, everybody. It's Friday. It's December 11th, 2020. Rob, you've got uh, the grin on your face of a Cheshire cat. What is happening over there? It's Friday, like you said. (laughs) Just happy about Friday? Okay. I guess, no. (laughs) I don't know why I'm smiling. I'm smiling because we're doing this show. There we go. I'm smiling because we're just talking about this as we're going to air, that uh, I'm figuring out my technology because I've got uh, a new iPhone. I was trying to download, like, transfer everything from the old phone to the new phone. Tell them the conversation we had yesterday. You're like, I can't read this Google Doc on my phone. And I said, you've got a laptop in front of you. And you were like, oh, yeah, it's on my laptop. I could use that, yes. <laughs> and now I've got also the iWatch, which I'm desperately trying to figure out. <laughs> and I just found out moments ago how to put this thing on Do Not Disturb. Sweet. Because earlier, over on the TV side... I was like, oh, please, please don't anybody call me right now because my watch is going to go off and I have no idea how to silence it, how to answer it, how to stop it. Uh, I've been living with a lot of anxiety today. I can imagine. Have you figured out how to take it off? Do not disturb. That's the next step. Next oh, week. Right, next yeah. week. <laughs> Actually, you know what? I'm not so sure I'm this comfortable being this wired, so I might just leave it on do not disturb. Yeah, you might as well. The whole time. And then really, what's the point of having it? Yeah. Okay, we are, speaking of technology, in our next hour, going to talk to our tech expert, Adam Oldfield. He's coming by to talk about the latest when it comes to contact tracing and why this app that the government put out is still full of bugs and is still full of problems. This is supposed to be one of our main weapons, the main weapon when it comes to stopping the spread of COVID, and we still don't have it right. So we'll talk to Adam about that. As well, we have got a new updated modeling. We got it yesterday for Ontario, and we've got updated modeling for the country now. And according to health officials, should we continue on our current pace, our current trajectory, we could be seeing upwards of, they're saying, twelve to 14,000 COVID cases daily by next month. That's right, 14,000 a day, they're saying, is where we're trending uh, right now. We're going to talk to uh, one of the best uh, in the biz, of course, Dr. Isaac Bogosh is on the show, and uh, we'll uh, have his uh, thoughts on uh, the vaccine, uh, because we're also getting uh, word today that uh, Moderna, the other vaccine, is going to be approved by the end of this month. So we'll have not one, but two vaccines, uh, hopefully in uh, circulation uh, very shortly. All of that coming up. But first on this uh, Friday, we, of course, are still waiting to hear as to when and how the next NHL season will get underway. Now, there has been talk of an all-Canadian division. And last night, there was also talk, there was also a report that the NHL is reportedly looking at purchasing enough vaccine to protect players and teams. And as you can imagine, there's got a lot of people, particularly on social media, all riled up and talking about this. Here's the author of Undrafted, our good friend Nick Kiprios, former NHLer. He joins us now here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Nick, good afternoon. Hey, Jeff, how are you? Um, listen, no no tech talk with me. i just still getting over the trauma of my VCR blinking 12 o'clock in, in, in the late 90s. <laughs> you know, I always liked it when we turned the clocks back because then my VCR would blink 11, 11, 11 <laughs> instead. Go. 
All right. Yeah, uh, what, there you go. What is the latest, uh, Nick? What do we know about the NHL trying to privately purchase uh, some of this uh, COVID vaccine? Well, I can tell you that I think that was information that uh, the NHL wasn't too happy um, having kind of get out there. And I, I don't know how how uh, definitive uh, the conversation went. Now, John Shannon was uh, a colleague of mine at Sportsnet, and he was the one that uh, uh, floated out uh, the tweet. Uh, but I don't think basically that was something that was, uh, you know, maybe it was just said on a, on a side note in a conversation, but uh, clearly, um, you know, with his follow-up e- uh, text, it was to suggest that, you know, this is when it w- would be available and we'd never jump the line. So there was a, a little bit of backpedaling, I think, from the National Hockey League side. And we know how sensitive that conversation is, Jeff, moving forward. But that's not to say that, you know, people will skip the line. They will. I mean, we, we've seen it. Uh, money talks and whether or not people are going to purchase it uh, from the black market or, you know, on the side of a corner, who knows? But you, you know often that people with big money uh, think that they get preferential treatment, but we just saw a taste of it last night on how the public would respond. So uh, the NHL, I think, is very sensitive about that now moving forward because of last night. Yeah, you sense that the league sort of got a sense of just how big of a PR problem this could be. And as you just mentioned, uh, they have uh, come out now with a bit of a statement. So uh, they don't want to be seen as uh, jumping the queue and what sort of damage that could do to the league, the players, and everybody's reputation. Oh, without without a doubt. And again, uh, we are talking about, you know, athletes that are uh, in the prime of their lives, you know, from 18 to 24. 526 would be, you know, your average uh, age now in the NHL. The, you know, when you look at it, you know, just from a, a pure, you know, who needs it the most, the, these guys would be the last guys that need it, you know. Um, of course, you want to go to your frontline workers, your healthcare workers, and, and the elderly. And I think once we get past, what is it now, you know, Seven percent uh, of Canadians are, or I'm sorry, uh, twenty twenty five percent are seniors over the age of sixty five. So I'm like, I, that's a long line before we get to NHL players, Jeff. I hear you. I hear you there, Kipper. Okay, uh, there is also talk uh, today that when the league gets back, and we still don't know definitively when, but when the NHL gets back on the ice, uh, Nick, there is some talk about maybe putting ads on the players' helmets? Yeah, and I think it's it has been talked about off and on over the last few years. And, of course, you know, the hockey jersey is such a sacred thing to so many people. And, you know, there's a the, – the traditionalists do not want to see any type of corporate uh, logo on their beloved Montreal Canadian or Toronto Maple Leaf jersey. But I don't know how they can avoid it. Jeff, I, I really don't. And we know, you know, in, in the last uh, few weeks, we saw Gary Bettman have to go back to the players and try to change the economic structure of a deal that he just signed four months ago. So that tells you a little bit of how desperate the owners are uh, when it comes to what they're going to be facing in the near future. They're going to have to find a way to generate more revenue. 
I know at this point they have not, um, you know, talked to the players about this or raised it with the players or, you know, it's not like they have to. But I would think from the players' perspective, any chance for additional hockey-related revenue, which they share with the owners, would be welcome. It might get a little awkward for for many uh, for some of the stars though. If if Connor McDavid has a a deal with a a Rogers and he he's forced to wear a Bell helmet, you know, yeah. does it matter to him? Would it bother him? But ultimately, I don't think the players would have any say in this. Okay, yeah, I was going to ask you about that because that's immediately, sorry, Nick, what came to mind for me is some of the bigger stars obviously have their own endorsement deals and they can't be in conflict. I mean, if you've got an endorsement with Company X and you've got to put Company Y's a sticker on your helmet night in and night out, does the Players Association, you don't think they've got a say or would have to sign off on this? No, they would not. No, I think anything on ice... um, it would be no different than to rink board ads, uh, anything on the ice. Although, although the player is wearing the uniform, you know, ultimately uh, that that jersey I think belongs to the owners. So, uh, it would be awkward for some of them that have corporate uh, side deals, but that that would have to be only off ice. On ice, um, it would have to. Uh, they have to sign off on it, and at this point, Jeff, um, they're not going to they're not going to lose the deal because of one or two superstars in the league. Uh, collectively, it would be the best thing for the uh, players' association. So, therefore, uh, you're good to go. You know, it's not like we haven't seen corporate logos though on jerseys uh, in the past. Uh, I can kind of remember sort of uh, late '80s when uh, Nike and the swoosh uh, appeared on the bottom of the uh, jerseys, and most recently, it's been uh, Adidas or uh, Adidas. So, is this something? Do you think that the fans will be, uh, you know, more willing to to accept because they've seen that uh, Nick? Or you know, if you've got Sunoco on the uh, left patch or the uh, left shoulder of a uh, Toronto Maple Leaf jersey, that's a whole different deal. Well, we we have seen it uh, with uh, Major League Soccer. Uh, We saw it in the CFL. So I I think it's just a matter of time that it's coming. And I will will tell you this, Jeff. On a whole, the players are a little little disappointed that uh, over the last few years that uh, there hasn't been enough revenue generated. When you compare, of course, to other sports. And yes, I mean, everybody knows that the majority of their money comes from huge television deals, but outside of television deals, you know, players want owners and the league and Gary Bettman's office to generate more revenue. We are still a league that uh, is, is dependent on ticket sales more than any other league. And right now it's hurting the most for the NHL because uh, the owners, of, of course, in, in other sports aren't feeling the pain because they've been able to generate billions of dollars. And I know, again, it's it's predominantly TV money, but it's much more than that as well. All right. Finally, before we let you go, Nick, uh, what are you hearing about a possible uh, start date for the uh, new or the next uh, NHL season? All the talk was kind of the first week of January, but are we past sort of a drop dead date uh, for that to happen? A lot of people think that uh, it's a it's a, it's a, it's a wish list of of jo- uh, January thirteenth, and there's just too much to still work out, and that's the danger here. 
of hitting that January 13th target is they still got so much to figure out, including divisions. They can't even figure out where St. Louis and uh, Minnesota are going to play, either the Central or the West. So while they're still figuring that out, of course, the protocols on quarantines, uh, roster sizes, I don't think we're going to have enough time to get that all in by January 13th. So a lot of people are talking about the last week of January or still February, first week in February. In fact, the NBA is starting up. Does that put any pressure on the NHL, do you think? A, a ton, Jeff. A ton. And once once the NBA starts going uh, just before Christmas here, now you've got all these fans now that are going to invest, in, um, you know, emotionally and uh, to, to basketball. You don't want them getting a, a, a three, four, five-week head start because once they're in, you know, maybe that commitment sees them all the way through and, and they don't want to spend equal amount of time on hockey. So I think it's really important that the NHL doesn't let this start date get too far away from them because all it's going to do is benefit the NBA and it's going to hurt the NHL. Well, the clock is ticking without a doubt. Kipper, appreciate it as always. Thanks for this. Have a happy and safe weekend. Hey, Jeff, if, if you and Carolyn want me to put the morning show on my forehead every morning, I'd be happy to generate some <laughs> revenue for you guys. I will talk to the powers that be here at Chorus and Global and get back to you. I don't know if we can afford you, though, Nick. <laughs> we'll talk. We'll All talk. right. Appreciate it, pal. Be well. There's a Nick Kiprios. He's the author of the book, Undrafted. And we've got some breaking news in this Friday afternoon. The Ontario government has just announced they're moving regions into new levels with some stronger public health measures. Just coming down, here's the uh, quick highlights. Uh, those in London, London Middlesex, they're going to go to a red control. They're up from an orange restrict into red control, along with the Simcoe Muskoka as well, and Wellington Dufferin Guelph, all of them going to control. And York Region... Listen up, York Region. York Region and Windsor-Essex are both moving into lockdown. That's effective 12.01 Monday, December the 14th. So the big headline here is York and Windsor are moving into gray and into lockdown. In the city of Windsor, this announcement comes on the heels of them just announcing that all elementary and secondary schools will be shifting to online learning as of Monday. And for more on all all of this... Let's welcome in Merritt Stiles, education critic for the NDP. She joins us here now on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Merritt, nice to have you back on. Oh, it's great to be here. All right, first off, uh, just give us uh, your take on this announcement from the Ontario government. We've got uh, two uh, new areas, two major areas, York and Windsor, moving into lockdown as of Monday. Well, it's certainly not where we wanted to be by any means here heading into the holidays. So bad news for a lot of communities across the province. And, uh, you know, I, I really think that this shows that we just can't be sitting around waiting for things to happen. The government needs to be uh, needs to be working harder, needs to be more proactive. Uh, and we're in this position because the provincial government didn't act sooner. All right, so if they need to be more proactive, did they wait too long as far as you and the NDP are concerned to move a region like a York or, or Windsor into lockdown? Is this something that should have happened, I don't know, maybe a week ago? And should they be looking at those that are in red control right now, putting them into gray and then into lockdown? Well, I mean, I do think that these decisions have to be made by public health. You know, public health units uh, locally need to have a say in this, and, and I know they're watching really hard. But look, you know, we should have had 
uh, more testing and tracing happening in our communities for months now. Uh, government is just bringing it in in a couple of schools in the whole province right now. We could have been doing a lot more, uh, and I think we could have avoided this. And I guess that's what I, I'm concerned about is, you know, what, what lessons did we learn? Did our government learn in that first wave, in that first set of lockdowns? And, and did they actually, uh, is there a lot more they should have been doing between now and then? And I think, yeah, that's for sure. Okay, well, let's explore that when it comes to education in the schools, because the reason we invited you on this afternoon as the education critic is to talk about what's going on in Windsor. Not only are they headed to lockdown on Monday, but yesterday they announced that all elementary and secondary schools will be shifting to online learning as of Monday. What do we know, Merritt, about this decision by Windsor? Why have they decided to close the schools? Well, you know, Windsor, they're they're. Uh, their public health units in Windsor just on their own decided to go into some schools where they'd had outbreaks and do some testing of kids that were asymptomatic. And what they found is the same thing we're finding in schools uh, in, in, in the Toronto, in, in the GTA, which is that there are more uh, there are more cases in those schools than we know about. And, and so, you know, Windsor is now uh, making that really tough call. Now, you know, that's bad news. There's no question. It's bad news for the kids. It's bad news for families. Um, but obviously that public health unit has made that call. I don't think we needed to be in this position. You know how I feel about this. I, I really think that if the government had worked a bit harder, you know, made smaller class sizes across the province, uh, limited uh, the number of kids coming into contact with each other, made sure our, our windows and our schools were opening so we had good ventilation. I don't know that we'd be in this position right now, so I'm pretty disappointed. All right, you and I have talked about that in the past, but the fact is we're where we are now and we have to deal with it. So should other hot spots, hot zones, such as us here in Toronto, Peel region, should we be paying attention to what Windsor is doing, taking a cue from them? Is it time for those hot spots, do you think, to start talking about maybe closing schools and uh, moving learning to uh, online? Well, you know, I, I will always I always hold to the fact that public health needs, those experts are the ones that have to make those calls. But, uh, you know, if we continue to see uh, the cases increasing here in, in, in regions like the GTA, then, you know, we could very well be headed in that direction. My, my emphasis and my focus is always going to be what can we do now to make sure that doesn't happen? How can we make sure that our schools are the safest possible places where there isn't spread happening? And, I, I, you know, I'm hearing from parents who are saying, look, you know, uh, our classroom, they want to open the windows, but the windows don't open. Uh, can we get people in now to fix those windows? Uh, can we get the provincial government to help support that? Uh, can we get HEPA filters in there? Now, what can we do to reduce class sizes even further? This is what we should be thinking about right now. This is what we've been telling the government for months now. And, and if they act quickly, we might still be able to avoid shutdown. Do you think it's too late to act when it comes to such things as uh, filtration and just simply uh, opening some windows? I mean, we've got new modeling from the federal government uh, here this afternoon that says we're headed towards upwards of 14,000 coronavirus cases daily next month by January. Again, that's, you know, worst case scenario, that's modeling, but that's an eye-popping number. And to your point earlier about waiting too long to uh, act, do we need to act now when it comes to keeping everybody safe and upholding public uh, health? Well, you know, I've been talking to a lot of the medical experts that are that are working on these issues, including some of the epidemiologists 
who specialize in this and who've been looking carefully at the situation in schools. And, you know, I defer to them always. I mean, there's, there's, there's a mixed blessing in closing down schools. If they close down schools, which they may have to do, um, but if they do do that, then there's a lot of families who are going to lose, you know, not have money. They're going to lose their jobs. They're going to lose their pay. And, and a lot of people are going to be in a really tough situation. And, you know, who knows? Maybe kids won't be any safer in that environment. So there's a lot of big de- decisions they're going to have to make. But, you know, absolutely, to your point, um, you know, a lot of things that could have been done, uh, I think a lot better weren't done. I, I still believe we can, we've seen, we've seen that governments can act really quickly. They can turn things around really quickly if they want to. And this is one of those cases. We've got to try do everything we can. And look, you know, Ontarians are giving up a lot this holiday season, you know, sacrificing a lot. The most, the, the least our government can do is to invest now uh, and, and in, in emergency measures to try to keep our schools open and safe. All right. Just finally, Merritt, let me ask you about the upcoming uh, holiday break uh, that's uh, just about upon us here. And you're right, this will be a Christmas like no other. Having said that, uh, should we be rushing back to school, do you think, uh, right after the holiday break? Do we need a a bit of a rest period before kids go back into the classroom just to make sure that, uh, you know, a classroom doesn't become a super spreader? Yeah, so the government was toying around with this idea before, and and partly what they were proposing was maybe schools would would not reopen in person, but they just reopen online for the first few weeks. I mean, I I think some of this is going to depend on on what happens over the holiday season. Um, if, if numbers continue to skyrocket, um, if it looks like uh, people aren't as safe as they were or the numbers are really high, um, then that may be the reality that we're facing. But, you know, I, again, want to say I think that there's still measures that we can take to make a big difference. Um, and the government should be in right now in the last week or so of school, they should be expanding the COVID testing and tracing that's happening in, in schools, especially in our hotspots, but across the province, so that we have a better sense of what we're getting ourselves into. All right. Merritt Stiles, education critic for the NDP. Merritt, appreciate the time as always. Thanks so much. Oh, thank you. Tis the season for the 12 Days of Giving. Our friends at Spinmaster, along with the Toronto Firefighters, once again partnering with us here at Global News for the 12 Days of uh, Giving. And joining us now for more on this is Jeff Berenz, president of the Toronto Firefighters Toy Drive. He joins us here now on Global News Radio. Jeff, how are you on this Friday? I'm doing very well. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Uh, Update us, if you can, on the uh, 12 Days of Giving. How are things going so far? Things are going pretty well. Obviously, we're in a sort of unique year, which everybody's very aware of. Uh, So we've, we've needed extra help from the community, and people have thankfully answered that call and the donations are still coming in. So we're able to continue doing the work we do, which is really great. That is great. Uh, How are donations taking place uh, this year and a year, as we keep saying, like no other? Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely different. Our uh, many of our sort of typical donation avenues are not possible. Um, that being said, members of the public can still visit any fire station in the city of Toronto. Um, we ask that they wear a mask, ring the doorbell, and one of our firefighters will assist them. So we're still collecting toys that way. Uh, we can also accept monetary donations through uh, globalnews.ca/toronto and then click on 12 Days of Giving. That's a huge help for us because we can use that money to buy toys that unfortunately we don't receive that we may need. 
Yeah, and tell us a bit about the the need uh, this year. Is it as great as ever, particularly with the pandemic? Because uh, sadly, this has affected uh, a lot of families and a lot of families' uh, ability to uh, buy gifts and, of course, uh, their employment status. Uh, A lot of people's employment up in the air right now. Of course, yeah. So uh, we are seeing a little bit of an increase in in our donations that we're giving out. Uh, Unfortunately, there are also some community groups that I I don't think are able to facilitate giving out donations, which is really unfortunate. Um, But we're always in need of teen items. We always sort of fall short on that. Everybody thinks about toys and toy drive, and we get lots of toys for younger children. Uh, But the teens out there are always a group that we're looking for. And that includes things like hygiene items, things like socks, underwear, toques, some of those basic necessities that um, don't always come to mind when you think about toy drive, but things that we want to make sure everybody has. So we're, we're really looking for those items. Yeah. And Jeff, can you tell us a bit about, from your perspective, from the firefighters, just uh, the look on uh, people's faces, uh, the joy that this spreads uh, when they do receive a, a gift like this? Yeah, it's such a great feeling. Uh, you know, through our work, obviously, uh, unfortunately, we see people often uh, on one of their worst days. So it's really great to be able to bring some joy back to a family or a child uh, through the toy drive. It sort of makes up for all that other stuff, uh, which unfortunately we do see. So it's such a great feeling. We we uh, give out some toys in some schools uh, in Toronto and being able to see the happiness uh, on the children's faces when we give some toys or even some learning materials that they may not have had otherwise. It's It's really incredible. All right, and once again, monetary donations and unwrapped uh, toys are uh, welcome right now. Yes, absolutely. All right, it's your local uh, Toronto uh, Fire Hall. Jeff, thanks uh, for the time uh, here today. Unfortunately, uh, I don't think we're going to be able to get together at the shops at Don Mills like we, we usually do for the for the big uh, wrap-up, but uh, really appreciate you coming on with us uh, today and uh, spreading the good word. Have a great weekend and a happy holiday. Thank you. Right back at you. Thanks so much for having me. All right. Appreciate it. There is Jeff Berens, president of the Toronto Firefighters Toy Drive. And just a reminder that you can listen to the show live weekday afternoons from 1 till 3 Eastern. Just tune in at 640toronto.com. Also, find us on Spotify. Search my name, Jeff MacArthur, or download us wherever you find your favorite podcasts.